I'd like for us to spend a few minutes this morning praying for our our dear friends in India. Uh, you know, many of you will remember a few months ago where we had such a powerful time of prayer for our, the Cornerstone Ministries in India uh, for the whole service, pretty much, and uh, because they were facing serious physical threat at the time. And that threat has passed, but tomorrow will be a, uh, there'll be a hearing, there'll be a legal, a court trial tomorrow, which they're nine hours ahead of us, so when you go to bed tonight, pray for them, they'll be getting up, getting ready to go to court, and, and you know, we have all the, or they have all the paperwork and everything, of course, that prove that they own the property, but as Atul will <laughs> clearly attest, it's India, it doesn't necessarily matter, and very strange things can happen, so... Father, we bow together as your sons and daughters through the blood of your only begotten son, Jesus. And we pray for Queenie and for the Cornerstone Ministries. We thank you for the incredible uh, privilege that you've given us to be a part of that ministry for so many years. And uh, the many, many times that it's been our pleasure to go there, to serve there, uh, but more to pray And so, Lord, we lift them up, and they're counting on us today. In the name of Jesus, we release our faith for a just and favorable decision tomorrow in the courts of India. We release our faith for a just and favorable decision, knowing that a just decision would be a favorable decision, Lord. We pray that you'll uphold Queenie and Pranab and the others who are working so closely with this case, the attorneys whose names I don't know. But I just pray, Lord, that your your blessing in every way, would go ahead of them in that court case so that that land which has been claimed only for the work of Christ will continue to be used for the work of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I have a a bit of a confession to make this morning. It's uh, somewhat embarrassing, but I feel like I I need to make it anyhow. And uh, it happened rather quickly yesterday. I thought I could get away with it, but it's, it's just sort of, I was alone, and I was looking at something and taking a kind of pleasure in looking at it that perhaps I just feel like I need to confess. Karen was outside with like 10 of her church girlfriends working on the church float for the Arts in the Alley Parade next week. They somehow were making a pirate ship. I don't know if that's just reflective of the vineyard as a church or what, but it's what's being made in our driveway. And and I was inside, and I, I took tremendous pleasure in watching Michigan pummel Oregon State uh, yesterday, in spite of my confession last year that I wanted to be a Buckeye. And so I, I feel like I've gone back. I feel... I feel like I, I just have to say that. I mean, I'm really happy for your win, but I'm not. I wish I even knew how to do that or the, the thises and the thats, but I just feel so much better having said that. And uh, will you forgive me? I only know I have this promise that that Rodriguez will go away, but the Father will send another, and the Harbaugh will come. 
And the glory, the former glory of Michigan will pass away, but the new glory will be greater than it was before, beloved. And there will be a new rivalry between a Harbaugh and a Meyer, the likes of which have never been seen before. Can I get a witness? I say in a mere three recruiting cycles that the last game of the year will once again be the most important game of the year. You look nervous. Okay, let's continue our Through the Bible series here this morning. We're uh, number three in another section of the Bible as we work through the Bible one book at a time, uh, and then one section at a time and wandering off to other things as the Lord leads in between. I'm in a several-week session uh, from Joshua to Second Chronicles. started with Joshua. And there we saw this call of God on our lives to live from our hearts. He said to Joshua, be strong and courageous. And courageous means to live from your hearts. We have stuff inside of our hearts that doesn't always square with our heads, but God put it there. And we find that we're tempted just to live from our heads because it's safer, it's more predictable, it's less risky. But that stuff in our hearts just keeps calling out, doesn't it? Stuff like, we got to go to Africa. Stuff like that that doesn't make sense on paper, but it's just calling out. And last week, then, as we moved into the book of Judges, we focused on Gideon. And God said to Gideon, who was hiding in a wine press, threshing the wheat, hiding from the Midianites, and he called him. What was the name he called him? Mighty warrior. Mighty warrior, he said. And we decided that if we're going to live from our hearts, we have to be men and women and young people who choose to believe what God says about us rather than the noise of the world says about us or whether our past says about us or whether the devil himself, whatever he's saying about us, we have to, as Gideon chose to believe the word of the Lord on him, we have to make that choice. Today we're going to move into the book of Ruth. The book of Ruth is the next uh, book, uh, eighth book of the Bible. It's a short book. You can read it in 15 minutes easily if you read it aloud, which is kind of fun because it's a very compelling romantic story it has strategy in it and it's rather suspenseful in spots if you've never read it before and you go I wonder how this is going to come out it's a book that starts in tragedy and ends in triumph and I like those kind of books it's a book that has one of the clearest prophetic pictures of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament and it kind of goes like this no it actually goes like this so there was a woman named Naomi and she had two daughters-in-law one of whom was Ruth, the other was Orpah. And these ladies, all three of them had lost their husbands. They'd all died because of a terrible famine had occurred in Moab. And so Naomi said, well, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem. That's where I'm from. And she started back, and the girls started following her, and she said, you guys don't follow me. I don't even know if I'm going to have anything when I get back there. The one daughter-in-law said, okay, I'll go back to my people. But Ruth said, no, I'm sticking with you. Wherever you go, I'm going so that your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And so off they go and they get back to Bethlehem. And there, um, which had not been experiencing a famine, they arrived during the time of the barley harvest, which is a really important time. And it's a big time. It's a celebratory time. Remember, the flow of goods wasn't quite the way it was or the way it is now. And so they returned at barley harvest time. And while they were doing that, they, had, they still had nothing. They just showed up as virtual slaves, as paupers, as homeless and without food. And there was a thing that people allowed to happen called gleaning. Here's what gleaning was. 
So you grow the barley, and it grows up on stalks, much like you see the wheat growing in our fields. It grows up on stalks until it turns a lighter color and is ready for harvest, becomes dry. Someone with a knife or a scythe or a sickle goes along and cuts it down, and all these stalks lay on the ground. And then the women came along, usually the servant girls. They came and they bundled them up into something called sheaves, bringing in the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing. Okay, you got it. And so, stop. And so they would bring these sheaves then in, and what they would do in a special way, they would beat these things so that the seeds fall off because the seeds are the food part. Okay, the seeds are the food part. But the thing is, is that when they would do that, they would, uh, in picking them up, there would be some of the seeds that would fall on the ground, but they were just tiny little seeds. And so the very poor were allowed to do something called gleaning, which is to come behind them after they picked all the stuff up that they wanted, and they could just sort through the ground and just pick up one little barley seed at a time. And that was called gleaning. Just whatever was left out there, you might as well give it to them. And so when they got there, Naomi says to Ruth, says, go out, go out behind the servant girls in the field of one named Boaz and go out in his field and just glean. And she did, and she did well. She picked up. And, but while she was out there, Boaz, who's the owner, comes riding in. Dun, 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 and he comes in, and he notices. He takes notice of Ruth. And he goes, mm-mm-mm, who's that, right, basically? That part's in the Hebrew. But he says, you know, he says, who's that? Well, that's, that's Ruth. That's the daughter-in-law of, of Naomi who has just returned from, she's the Moabitess and has just returned. And he said, oh, well, let her... Let her work real close to the servant girls there. Don't hinder her in any way. <laughs> and so, indeed, she did very well. And at, she comes home and back to Ruth, Naomi, I'm sorry, back with to Naomi with all this barley. And she says, wow, how would you get all that? Well, blah, blah, blah. She says, oh, well, I have a plan then. So tonight when Boaz, after he's done eating and drinking and goes to sleep, I want you to just sneak into where he's sleeping on the threshing floor there. And I want you to just curl up near his feet, right? You know, don't make any noise or anything. And so she waited and waited and waited and waited till he'd eaten and drank a few. And, I mean, it's barley. There's only one good thing to do with barley and um, that I know of. <laughs> and, uh, and so then he was asleep, and she crawled up there. Well, he wakes up in the night, and it's dark. And he goes, oh, what? Hmm. Who are you? And she says, well, I'm, I'm Ruth. I'm, the, oh, very good. <laughs> he said, Hot diggity. <laughs> this is very good. And she says the most compelling verse in the Old Testament, one of the most compelling verses in the Old Testament for me, Ruth chapter 3, verse 9. I am your servant, Ruth. She said, spread the corner of your garment over me since you are a kinsman redeemer. That's really a powerful. Spread your garment over me. Take me in. Cover me. Cover me. And that's what he does, and he says, well, I would like her. I would like to buy this land that belonged by marriage to Naomi. Um, But there was another step that there was someone else kind of in line before him who really had a right to this. And so he sets up this kind of of thing, you know, like, hey, you want to buy that land? Naomi's back. You want to buy that land? He goes, yes, of course, I'll take that land. I will redeem the land. And then uh, Boaz says, oh, by the way, there's a couple of women that go with it. And he goes, oh, then I don't want it. Women I have plenty of, he said. He said, that could destroy my estate, too many heirs. 
And so Boaz effectively tricked him, and he moves out, and Boaz then comes in, redeems the land, and acts as kinsman redeemer for Ruth. And I think this is just the most incredible picture of Jesus Christ who came in and tricked the devil and destroyed him in this transaction of rescuing us from sin and death. That's the book of Ruth in a nutshell. The context, as we've been you know, using this as our structure for this study, this took place toward the end of the era of the judges. How do I know that? Well, because Ruth 1.1 says in the days when the judges ruled, so it's pretty obvious. So if you're trying to set this in some sort of historical framework, remember we got to Moses, we got to Joshua, and then last week we got to the judges who were ruling. 12 judges over some period of time. And it was toward the end of this and uh, perhaps even into the beginning of, of Samuel, who may have been a judge, may have been a prophet. We'll get to that next week. But it was in that era. The whole story of the book of Ruth seems to have occurred over the course of a few weeks. So our judges covered generations. It looks as though this journey from Moab to Bethlehem and the whole redemption story happened within the course of just a few weeks and one of the most incredible things is as it turns out in the lineage of things which is so important to the context of why it's even in the Bible is that Ruth was the great-grandmother of King David and so Ruth had a son named Obed I believe who had a son named Jesse I believe who had a son named David and so that's the context what you need to keep in mind regarding the importance of the book The main storylines of the book are three, really. The key figures are Ruth, Naomi, and Boaz. They're the principal figures. You've got a couple of other mentions to Elimelech, who was Naomi's husband, and Malon and Kilion, who were the husbands of of the two girls. But they're all dead by the time the book begins. So these are the main characters. But I think one of the main storylines of the book of Ruth is that it it really carries you through a transition of Ruth from a victim of circumstance to the bride of her kinsman redeemer. She's a victim of circumstance and famine in the beginning. At the end, she is a royal bride of her kinsman redeemer. Pretty good switch. It's like getting upgraded to first class, right? And that's what this is about. It's a main storyline. I think a third storyline in the book of Ruth is it demonstrates the power and blessing of living according to the covenant. The covenant was the law of God. The covenant was the basis of relationship that God had with his people in the Old Testament. This is all prior to the actual coming of Jesus Christ, who is the the bringer of the new covenant. But uh, Israel, as you may know from reading your Bible, kind of wandered in and out of faithfulness with the covenant. And this is another, uh, demonstrates the power of living according to the covenant. That when you follow God, good things happen. They don't happen without bumps. They don't happen without bruises they don't happen without going over the handlebars of your bicycle they don't happen without (laughs) certain things along the way but at the end of the day it's a good thing to follow god so those are the main storylines the hot spot is i like to just pick out a hot spot in each of these books for me in the context of praying through this uh what does god have to say to us today is this whole concept of the kinsman redeemer boaz this guy who owned the land and who rescued ruth from her predicament is called a kinsman redeemer and this kinsman redeemer 
is, as I mentioned, one of the clearest prophetic pictures of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. Sometimes you may know we call this a type. It's called a typology or a study uh, in the Old Testament of the images of Jesus. Like this is what Jesus is going to be. And so this kinsman redeemer is a type of Christ. It's not Christ, but it's a clear prophetic reference to the coming of Christ. The kinsman redeemer as a concept is deeply rooted and embedded in the Old Testament and the Torah. Uh, the, the whole concept of rescue is, uh, is really God. I mean, it's his character to rescue. In Exodus, for example, chapter 16, verse 6, it says, So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, uh, in the, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And on and on it goes. That the Lord is the rescuer. The Lord is the one. It's in the very heart of God to rescue us. It's in, get that. I think that's what I really want you to get. It's in the heart, in the center of the heart of God to rescue us. That we're in a predicament. A predicament is called sin. And sin acts itself out in a, in a, in a grand way, but also in specific ways, doesn't it? Well, whether it's in a general way or the specifics of sin in your life that have painted you into a corner, it is still in the character of an unchanging God to rescue you, to reach, to reach you in your predicament. John, do you know what I'm talking about? To reach you in your predicament, to reach you in the corner. And it doesn't matter how dark the corner is, how closely you've painted yourself in, even through decisions of your own. It is still in the heart of God, the heart of God to rescue you. And this, uh, this is where this kinsman redeemer starts, but it's also in the Levitical law. In, in uh, Leviticus chapter 25, there's a passage in the 40s verses there that just talks about, about if one of you, if your circumstances just spiral out of control and you become poor and then homeless, and if you find yourself having to surrender yourself into slavery, so there was an option that if you were just totally down and out, you could volunteer to be a slave. Now, in the midst of volunteering to be a slave, you lost your identity. You lost your name. You lost anything that was ever going to come to you. So if you were in line for something and you're just waiting for Uncle Jed to die or something, and he just wasn't cooperating, when you, when you surrender yourself into slavery, you lose all claim of that because you now belong to your master. But there was a provision that said that if your kinsman redeemer, a kinsman meaning a member of your own line, who was doing well and had the capacity and the inclination to reach out to you and redeem you from your slavery, you could have it all back. A kinsman redeemer. You could be rescued from that predicament by the kinsman redeemer. Anybody seeing Jesus anywhere in this picture? And Ruth was exactly in the position that made her a candidate for a rescue by a kinsman redeemer. She was hungry and she was helpless, but she was not hopeless because there was a provision. There's always the hope. Listen, you're hungry, you're helpless, you're in trouble, but what is never changing is the hope of the kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, whose heart is still to rescue you. That never changes. So she was hungry, and she was hopeless, or helpless, but she was not hopeless. So in this 
Ruth chapter 3 and verse 9, when she sneaks in and follows all the the directions of her mother-in-law, and she said, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since I am your kinsman, since you are a kinsman redeemer. Then what's happening here? I think some of your translations, some of the older translations, may even say, Cover me with your wings. And you remember how we studied before how this wings is always a reference to the covering of God. And it was the covering of the talit or the prayer shawl. So that you would just cover with that. At this time, this will blow you away. At this time, the last step in the ritual of marriage for the Hebrew people at this time was for the groom to cover his bride with the prayer shawl. Cover her with the garment and becoming one. And this is what the kinsman redeemer is being asked to do. Take me in and take me as your bride. So not only is Boaz the type of Christ, but Ruth is a type of what? The church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ. What a beautiful picture this is. Am I the only one with this? This is a beautiful picture. So that where this story goes is probably obvious to all of you, is that the one true kinsman redeemer of the universe is the one only true Jesus Christ. And that's his function. And so if you want to effectively live from your heart, do you still want to do that? Then you're going to have to be completely covered by the blood of the one true kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. You're going to have to cling to the cross. You can't do this by yourself. In fact, it's a bad idea to start living from your heart if you don't cling to the cross. You're going to get yourself in a whole bunch of trouble. Because you're going to go out uncovered. It's such an important step to grab hold of the cross, hold to the cross. You know, I find it a lot harder to actively sin when I'm grabbing onto the cross. But I find that even when I figure out how to pull that off, the blood is right there. I also find that when I hold to the cross, my appetite for sin rapidly diminishes. Something happens inside me as I cling to the cross and the Holy Spirit lives up inside of us that we begin to develop a whole new appetite. Clinging to the cross, covered by the cross, is Jesus your kinsman redeemer? Is, are, you, are you counting on Jesus to be your kinsman redeemer? And I don't just mean for salvation so that you can go to heaven later. That's all important. And that's all good. But how about now? How about now? Are you clinging to the cross? Is this where the cross always is? Or does the cross come out once a week or twice a week? Or You know what I'm talking about? Because if Jesus Christ is your kinsman redeemer, you're married to him. He's there all the time. Karen's not in the room right now. She's with the middle school kids. But I'm pretty sure I'm still married to her. You know what I'm talking about? It's an abiding covenant. I think uh, of all the people in the room who have the most difficulty embracing this, there are those of us who have Y chromosomes. Men seem to have 
more trouble with this than women. Difficulty relating to all this is a story about a woman who was romantically rescued by a man. Oh, my Jesus, cover me. It just doesn't really land, does it, guys? Let's, let's talk. It just doesn't really land. There are likely very few of you in here who say, oh, I want to be married to God. It just doesn't. That's not the right language for us, is it? But we love Him, and we want to be covered by Him, don't we? We want to be covered by Him, brothers, don't we? Men, yes or no? Do you want to be covered by Jesus Christ? Well, then think of it this way. Instead of being His best girl, think of it this way. You're fighting a war. Men, you are fighting a war. You're fighting a war if you're married for your marriages. The devil wants your marriage. If you have children, no matter what age, grown, small, grandchildren, whatever, the devil wants them, and you're fighting a war for yourself. Even if you're just all solo by yourself, you're still a war going on, isn't there? Brothers, yes or no? Women, you may go. Brothers, yes or no? I'm just talking to the men now. And I understand that this language about intimacy with God and being married to God and stuff doesn't land in quite the right way. But you need a covering. You need a covering for the war you're in. You need your battle gear for the war you're in. Because you know, if I ask you, how well does it work without it? How long do you last? What soldier would go into battle and say, that's okay, I don't need all that gun stuff. I don't need all that big rucksack. That seems heavy. I, I don't. What soldier would just go out there in shorts and sandals and says, all right, who wants to be next? It's not how it works, is it? You need the covering of the army. You need the authority of the government that's sending you. And you need the equipment that has been provided for you. And that's what the kinsman redeemer does. A mighty warrior, as we saw last week, is completely vulnerable without the covering of God. Go ahead out there in your shorts and sandals and say, I'm a mighty warrior without being under the covering of God. See how long it lasts. You need the covering of the one who is strong enough to defeat Satan. And I'm going to offer that to you guys. As I was praying for today, I saw a covering come over the men who want it. And it's a covering of power. It's a covering of authority. It's a covering of victory. It's a covering of stop making excuses. It's a covering of stop cycling the, circling the drain. It's a covering of stand up. It's a covering of strength and power and authority to be the men that God has called you to be. Here's the catch. It's right here. It's in the shadow of the cross. It's right here. It's under the covering of the cross of Jesus Christ. And I believe this enough to say, I believe that if you come right now, men, men only, if you come right now and stand right up in this place, that God will visit you with a manifest 
just face the cross. Just get, just crowd right up there around the cross and let God do the rest. Just seek Him. You need this covering, men. Jesus isn't asking you to go steady with Him. He's asking you to be a soldier and cover you with His power and His blessing and His armor. Now just follow your heart. You guys, while you're up here, just follow your heart. Just pray the prayers that are in your heart. Confession prayers. Need prayers. The prayers in your heart, just pray them. Because your kinsman redeemer is here to cover you.